This is the Epilog audio experience. A disc goes flying in the air. One player throws it and the other catches it. It isn't as simple as it looks though. There are rules, there's conflict, gender roles are at play. There's an ultimate need for team play, but there's competition nonetheless. A classic workplace setup, isn't it? You know that your days in the workplace will look pretty much like this. This, by the way, is also the setup for a game of ultimate frisbee. You're listening to Voice of Achievers with me, Yashika, and I'm super curious and thrilled at once because we are exploring conflict resolution, gender equality, teamwork and competition both at the workplace and in sports with our woman of substance today. Our guest, Meghna Shankar Narayanan, is the current president of the Ultimate Players Association of India that governs over 10,000 athletes. She's represented India in multiple Asian, European and World Championships and has brought home medals from the World Championships in Dubai and in London. A champion for gender equity, she convinced the National Federation to include the women's division of the sport and went on to captain India's first ever women's team. She's played an integral role in ensuring that the sport remains inclusive. Now, if you're wondering, like I did some time back, which sport I'm talking about here, Ultimate or Ultimate Frisbee, as we colloquially call it, is a legit sport. Really. Back to Meghna now. She works as a senior sales consultant with Google India, where she drives mental health awareness, corporate fundraising initiatives, along with DEI initiatives. She's an alumni of the Indian School of Business, Hyderabad. Welcome to the show, Meghna. Hi, Yashika. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. What is this uh, sport really? I mean, who knew this is a legit sport? (laughs) So, uh, surprisingly, more countries play ultimate frisbee than cricket. But I think sitting in India, it seems like uh, cricket is a bigger sport. Um, So there are close to about 90 plus countries that play the sport. In India, it's nascent. It's a new sport. It's growing. Um, And uh, like you mentioned, we have about 10,000 athletes, but we have about 140 club teams and it's played across all the states. We have a national team. Uh, Ultimate Frisbee is recognized by the International Olympic Committee. So, yeah. But uh, more importantly, uh, this entire scenario of a woman heading a sports team this just sounds so dramatic what's the uh, what's the catch how did it all begin uh, what were the challenges really and i think i wanted to live in a world where uh, a woman leading an organization or a sports organization doesn't raise eyebrows right like we never ask a guy oh how come you're leading a sports organization however suddenly if a woman is leading a sports organization like people will ask Oh, do you have a family? How do you balance your time? Um, And I think, well, I'll call it for what it is. Those are sexist (laughs) questions. And um, 
I think with Ultimate Frisbee in India, we've focused on the mixed division of the sport. So men and women play on the same team. Um, the easy way for people to visualize this is kind of mixed doubles that we are used to in tennis. But um, typically viewership for men's singles is uh, as high, or women's singles is higher, and mixed is kind of lower. Whereas for ultimate, I think it's slightly different where a mixed ultimate in India is the main predominant division. Um, I think uh, our organization today is about uh, 10 years old and very consciously we decided that we want to keep the sport mixed uh, and we want to ensure that people in leadership positions are representative, not just of the geographies of India, but also like the playing populace. So if you look at the committees, they are typically headed by people from all socioeconomic groups, uh, right from lower income communities to uh, middle class to upper middle class uh, Indians. And um, a lot of them actually very recently are uh, headed by women. And initially it was very intentional. We said that all committees should have at least uh, one female representative or one female chairperson. And uh, today, I think we are in a position where it is not intentional anymore. It is just that the, the people who want to do it end up being female. The people who are good at it end up being female. And today, I think uh, while we have eight committees, only two of them have a male chairperson. Uh, I think all our other committees are uh, led by our female athletes. You mentioned raised eyebrows and that's the, that's the point that I was coming to. Because uh, I read a couple of your interviews and uh, that's pretty much what it is, right? Uh, there are raised eyebrows when a woman is heading uh, a team. A sports team that's not uh, as popular in the country as uh, many others would be. What were the initial challenges like? Mm, I think uh, some of the initial challenges are um, very societal, right? Like when a woman tries to play a sport, Immediately, at least in the Indian context, there is a lot of where are you going to play? How are you going to play? Is it safe? Is the commute safe? Is it early morning? Is it is it sunrise or is it still going to be dark when you're going to commute? Uh, I think that's where the challenges start for women. And to the type of attire that you wear, uh, that will come into question. Like people would be like, why is she wearing shorts? And then third, we are a mixed gender sport. So there is also the, oh, so she plays. <laughs> Exactly, that's what I was coming to. I was like, okay, yes, one, there's shots, and two, that uh, it is going to be a mixed gender sport. How do you handle that? Yeah, so I think for uh, luckily for me, I've had super supportive parents. I have a really supportive husband who also plays the sport, and it hasn't really been a challenge. But how we uh, enable younger women from different socioeconomic groups to play is to actually uh, proactively do home visits. So, um, and the idea of role modeling, right? So if I were to do a home visit, uh, I'm a 30 plus female working in corporate India, married, um, and all these kinds of are check boxes for parental mindset. And then when I speak to them uh, about allowing their children to play and experiences, and I think the lessons that Ultimate teaches you and how it has helped me either gain college admission or grow in my career, or give me opportunities at work, uh, they tend to think, okay, these are decent people. Uh, why don't I allow this? Sometimes parents will accompany their girls for the first initial practices 
until they get to know the group or the club team. And then, you know, slowly that trust builds and then they take it uh, for granted. So I think uh, a lot of effort needs to go in. And um, I'm going to quickly cut to a parallel to how that is at the workplace as well, right? Like there are certain, um, I think, industries. <laughs> was just going to ask you that. Was just going to ask you that. <laughs> So there are definitely certain industries where uh, women, uh, they're not traditionally female industries. So um, I know I know of even uh, our parents' generation would say, oh, you can be a nurse, you can be a teacher, you can be a doctor. These are all good female professions. But if you want to join maybe the army as a female, there might be, you know, race typos. But really the question is, what are we doing to go out and reach to those communities that probably have an aspiration or even like to explore that particular opportunity. Uh, how are we reaching them and how are we kind of reducing the barriers so they can decide to experience it and then decide whether it is for them or not. Um, and I think therein lies both equity and responsibility in ensuring that genders are represented uh, across. How do we do that? And how do we do that with respect to professions? Uh, because you do it uh, for the sport, how do we as individuals do that for professions, reaching different socio-economic backgrounds and saying that it's okay, uh, and it's okay to pursue a career, it's okay to pursue a profession? Yeah, I think uh, the number one lesson that we need to tell ourselves and whoever it is that we are mentoring or um, uh, even parenting is that all human beings uh, can discourage or say no only because uh, they cannot imagine a different reality for themselves, right? Uh, so uh, they are not fully able to understand and they never will be an individual's capability and uh, ability to shine in their chosen field, right? So I think that's the constant reminder that first when we say no to something, we really need to question, is it no for me or is it no for that person? and why or what is making me say that. But two is I think uh, providing opportunities. We are very hesitant in providing those opportunities and taking a risk uh, on an individual, right? So say for example, um, at Google, for instance, uh, we have multiple sectors uh, where we work and automotive is one of those sectors. And traditionally automotive sectors are um, led by men but in the recent past, we've had phenomenal female leaders kind of grow the automotive sector, uh, even through the last few years where, you know, there's a slump and then there's, you know, kind of emerging from the slump and whatnot. And what did that take? That actually just took someone saying, hey, if this person is amazing at her role in maybe travel or uh, marketing or any one of the, you know, kind of other divisions, uh, why will her skill set not translate to this predominantly male field. And then uh, yeah. the third step is to not just take that fund and bet on somebody's capability, but also to set them up for success. And I think there, uh, allyship plays such a great role, right? There are times when uh, women, even today, are not allowed to complete a sentence. Or uh, even today, when I am uh, traveling and I meet someone, uh, the first question that they will ask is directed to my husband and what his career is. It doesn't matter if, you know, I am the primary breadwinner of the family. Like that assumption doesn't even come into people's minds. They don't want to know what I do for a career. 
the question I get is, oh, you've been married for so many years, when are you going to have kids? And the question my husband gets is, so what is your profession? Right. So sometimes I feel that we don't we don't set up people for success. And if we do that uh, by allying, and when I mean an ally, my husband will proactively say, oh, uh, I do this and this, and this is my wife and she works for Google, right? And then immediately that allyship uh, makes the other person, you know, kind of rethink or recalibrate. So I think allyship even translates to how in a meeting room, there is one voice, the sole, sometimes the sole female voice or most often the minority female voice. Uh, what we really need is for men to amplify that voice. So even if there is a point that somebody has made, uh, there is tentative, you know, kind of acceptance of female authority. So people will not openly say, wow, that's a great idea. But if that person was or fear. Mm. Does that happen? Is the sitting on the table a legit problem or being on the table or ideating at the table a legit problem at the workplace? So I, I think in certain circles it is not and in certain circles it still continues to be. Uh, but I have worked in other organizations where I would think that it could be a problem. I mean, it is a problem, right? Like if you look at any consulting firm today, the number of male partners is much higher than female partners. So we know that there is an issue. Does that go back, Meghna, uh, and I'm sorry I'm interrupting here, but does that go back to, or does can we trace this back to um, inclusivity not taught in schools and colleges? And because you've been in a, a premier MBA institute yourself, would we be better off teaching this in college? Absolutely. And I think uh, it, I would actually go so far back as to say that college is too late. Uh, I think we need to start in schools. And I'm extremely serious about this, right? And it's a very well-formed uh, opinion in my mindset where um, India is not the safest place for women. We continue to be harassed in trains, buses, uh, have you know, kind of unwelcome hands on our bodies, and we don't have a say about that. Um, and where is that behavior coming from? Like that behavior is acceptable because that's what children are conditioned to think. And we've run a lot of, like we use the sport of ultimate frisbee uh, to um, run a lot of engagements and camps with children, right? Where we give them these surveys saying, when is it okay to touch a woman when she has not given you permission? And the answers can be never, uh, when she's my wife, um, anytime I please, and so on. And you will still today, and these are kids who are maybe between ages 10 to 15, and you will see that in certain communities, the answers predominantly, uh, if she's my wife, right? So th that brings into question marital dream. How exactly do men who are 11 to 15 years old form the opinion that it is okay to uh, touch a woman, even if she's your wife, when she doesn't want that physical contact? So it is coming from the first 10 years of their lives, right? And what are we doing then? I think as communities, we say things like, um, uh, right? It's, uh, it's derogatory. And uh, we work with this wonderful NGO based in Lucknow called Project Kale. And the way that they teach their kids is they, they bring glass bangles. They give it to all their kids, girls and boys, because it's a mixed sport. And uh, they play the whole game, right? And at the end of the game, there's like a reflection session where uh, children share their points of view. 
and they realize that that bangle doesn't really stop them from playing, right? And then we ask questions about um, why don't you guys go home and help your mother? Uh, and these are households where there's no mixie and grinder and stuff, right? Or water needs to be pulled out of a well and so on. And these are all physically arduous jobs, right? They take energy. And some of the kids actually get tired at the end of the day. Uh, and when they do that with their mothers and grandmothers who wear bangle and who feed the whole family, they realize that chudi penkar rakha hai is not derogatory, whereas it is used so flippantly, right? And then uh, I think there's a... That's a brilliant example. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a brilliant example of uh, actually bringing into context what is at play uh, through a simple phrase that we end up generally using or hearing and that brings me to a point where um, I'd like to ask you and you, you mentioned this while uh, we were talking about uh, touch and physical contact and this is let's talk both on the playground and in uh, at work there's um, going to be enormous physical contact like you said uh, in the sport because it's a, a mixed sport or a mixed gender sport how does one handle that? Yeah, great question. So ultimate frisbee is a no contact sport, which is why I think it lends so well to um, the mixed gender format. So um, there is, if there is physical contact, then there is an opportunity for us to call a foul because of that physical contact. Um, and it's also self-refereed. So every person who plays the sport understands the rule and we are able to kind of engage in a meaningful dialogue to resolve what we call a call uh, or a foul call. So um, uh, we have, in fact, it, it is a framework uh, of sorts that we use to resolve conflict on the field and uh, it's called Be Calm um, and Be Calm kind of expands to be is for breathe, which means don't react straight away, right? I mean, that's good advice for any situation. Forget just being on the field. Uh, e stands for explain, which is you, you are supposed to explain what you think happened, right? In your perspective uh, or what you feel, you kind of articulate that. And then the calm, the C stands for consider. So you need to stop and listen to the other person's viewpoint. What do they think happened? what did they feel happened, right? So that is B, E, C. And then A is ask, where you can ask for advice, right? It's not necessarily just the two of you, it's a team sport. There are others who could have seen uh, what has transpired from different perspectives. So you ask for all those different perspectives. And then the C, A, L stands for listen, which means have an open mind and listen to all of these perspectives. And M is make a call. <laughs> Um, so we call it Be Calm, uh, and it starts with uh, breathing, explaining what you did, considering what the other person think happened, asking for perspectives, listening to all of them, and then making a decision. And I think it's, it's useful because on the field, what happens is if we uh, disagree, right, because that's typically the next question, which is what happens if both of you can't come to a conclusion, right? Like we we need to agree to disagree and that's so we do that and we send the disc back uh, and we just uh, do a replay or the disc goes back to the last contested position and we start playing again. 
So I think all of these are immediately transferable to uh, work and definitely to life as well. So yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> but tell me, Meghna, uh, you said, uh, sure, you can be calm and uh, both in the sport and at work. Uh, this is a typically lengthy process. You are calm, you listen, you ask others, etc, etc. I, I wouldn't say this happens in a jiffy. It cannot. Um, because it's, it's lengthy, how does one work around that? And can you really come to a conclusion on time? Uh, uh, with respect to the sport, uh, does that hamper the time in the sport? And with respect to the workplace, uh, you have many other things to do. Uh, you can't just sit with a conflict. So how does that work? Great question. So uh, the sport has a framework where uh, you are allowed 30 to 40 seconds to resolve a call, right? And if you're not able to resolve the call within this time frame, uh, it automatically means that you've agreed to disagree or in the sporting parlance, we say contest uh, and we just do a replay. And uh, I think at the workplace, it is uh, two things. One, if two people are coming in with the mindset of let's find a solution to the problem, right? Because you can come in with the mindset of this is frustrating me. Uh, I want to just rant uh, or I don't like that somebody said this. Uh, you can come in with that mindset and people do and that's okay. I think we learn from uh, times when uh, our decision making has not been perfect. So I'm not saying that even on the sport, uh, on the field, people are not calm, like they can lose their temper. Uh, but I think it involves a few of those episodes to actually um, learn from practice. So you know that what you did was wrong and then you can go back and correct that behavior. And I think that applies to uh, workplaces as well. So ideally this is the theory and then you need to have, I think the um, self-introspection to see if you're tracking well to this structure. And if you're not to pause and say, okay, I didn't do this well this time. This is where I went wrong. Maybe apologize for your behavior. Go back and ensure that when you're in the same situation the next time around, your decision-making or your conflict resolution is that much better. Uh, you, this, this is interesting. And this actually brings me to, because, because you mentioned that uh, when you agree to disagree, what happens then? Who takes the final call again? Is there a gender role at play? Not really. Actually, in the sport, never. Because uh, we, we, we use hand signals and we use uh, terms. So um, they uh, a call, right? So there is a contact call uh, or a foul call. And then I'll say, okay, what do you think happened? They'll explain their point of view. They'll listen to what I have to say. And then uh, I can either choose to ask someone or I can choose to make up my mind. And I'll say, I actually disagree with that. And the other person says, okay, I disagree with that as well. And then the discourse back, right? It's, it's supposed to be impersonal. And um, you can, there are times when, you know, you do believe no way. There are times when, you know, you, you think that your perspective is 100% right, right? And then there is a little bit of pushback saying, uh, are you joking? Are you kidding? There's no way that happened and stuff like that, right? And the other person can also choose to react that way saying, uh, oh, you are delusional, blah, blah. But then it's 30 to 40 seconds and we don't have the time for that, right? So. The idea is that you are greater to study and you move on. Otherwise, there, there are actually um, 
12 other players waiting to play the game. And just because two of you can't sort your, uh, you know, kind of conflict, it's not fair to keep everybody waiting, right? So at the end of the day, we are there to play the game. So might as well get on with it. And this is something I've been willing to ask you because you talk so passionately about the sport and um, there's, e- there's an equally thriving career. How do these two coexist? Can they? And what does it require? How much effort does it require from you as an individual? Mm, great question. So I'll actually uh, tell you something that one of my coaches uh, for the uh, women's national team uh, told us, right? So he said that, uh, yes, they're going to play the world championships. Uh, it's probably the biggest event for any athlete um, and like almost like an apex goal, right? Uh, but he made sure that everybody on the team had one other goal that they were equally committed to. And that could be um, getting 80% plus in their college examination. It could be working to promotion at work, or uh, it could be committing to a hobby uh, and staying true to it, right? A lot of people will say, oh, I love reading. Uh, And then you can ask them, uh, so how many books did you read last year? And they would say two books, right? So all people say, oh, I love trekking. Okay, how many treks did you do last year? One trek. So maybe you love it, but you are not dedicating time to it. It has no longer, you know, it is no longer important to you. It has ceased to be your hobby. And the reason he says that you should have two strong goals. If one is uh, to play and represent the country at the world uh, championships, your second goal needs to be as strong because uh, there will be a time when uh, you don't do well in either right? You've trained for almost eight months and then say uh, at training, you fracture your leg. You can't play the world championships anymore. And having that strong secondary goal will ensure that you have the strength to continue. I think the resilience bounce back. And a third, uh, the mental peace or strength to focus on recovery. And that can happen vice versa, right? So say you were working on a great project and that project didn't go too well. That's not the life right if you're thinking about a life which is maybe 70 years uh, has so many years that's such a practical example of motivation i feel uh, because this is a question i often end up asking ki, you know kya, kisne aapko itna motivated uh, this happens especially at a time when with entrepreneurship for a really long period of time you don't uh, you may not end up doing well or uh, you may not end up getting the results that you wanted to. Uh, how then do you keep yourself motivated? And what you said is very interesting, the parallel between the two. Uh, but, you know, we are in a situation, um, especially now with uh, working from home. The home has become the office. Uh, uh, college lectures are happening. Your, your self-learning is happening. Work is happening. Where do you find the time? And how do you do that is, is what I'm trying to get to, especially when you're, um, when you have very strong goals, uh, both ways, do you really go up front and tell, uh, say your manager at Google that, Hey, I need to dedicate this one month for my championship or maybe vice versa, because you have a professional goal to achieve. How does that work? Give us examples. 
Mm, okay, and I think there is no correct answer, right? Uh, like if, uh, like I'm a fan of Mithali Raj, and uh, she talks about taking a year off. Like she didn't write her board exams because she wanted to play the world championships, and that is an alright decision, right? But you speak to a child who's going to give the board exams, and for them, that decision is the biggest decision that they've ever taken, right? The weight of that. for like a teenager is huge and they can decide to do that or they can decide to split their time right but i think what is important is there needs to be clarity in thought what is going to make you happy right is splitting time going to make you happy do that but then don't expect to be on top and you know kind of have your cake and eat it as well right so if you're aiming for like promotion in one and a half years plus world championship plus something something unrealistic you can do it uh, but why do you want to do it like question that motive right is it just because somebody will say oh this person did this this and this uh, under the age of 20 i can give you maybe 100 examples of under the age of 20 people who have done much more wondrous things right so if that is your motive stop right there uh, really think about what makes you happy in that moment because there is no guarantee about uh, whether that promotion will happen whether to be honest you and i or whoever uh, is is going to be alive 3 years from now we don't have that guarantee right so there's no point in thinking about 5 years from now i will do this i'm going to do this no today tomorrow what is going to make you happy do that like i would think that is my approach but i've seen other people balance like bunch of different things and sometimes things do work out right if you're hard working and disciplined enough uh, i think i got promoted at that point in time i was working with ernst and young um and i was a consultant and ernst and young sponsored me uh, and the indian women's team to go play the world championships in london and the same year i played the championship we won a medal in that championship we came back and i got promoted so can it happen yes it can does it take a lot of effort yes so uh, that meant that i need to wake up at 6 o'clock every day for 12 months and go to bed at maybe uh, 10 and not watch any movies not read any books not have any outings per se because i know that my body needs sleep uh, to recover i know that yeah you make those trade offs you just need to you make those trade offs and you need to be happy with making that trade off right so if you're thinking oh this movie all my friends went i didn't go then you are unhappy with your choice don't make that choice what about uh, what do you take from this and is there fluidity in the two and by two i mean uh, the sport on one hand and the workplace on the other does uh, being in one teach you or bring some lessons into the other and vice versa what happens what's happened with you so uh, i think i can talk about this the whole day because the lessons are actually never ending like if you were to ask me who i would hire i would say hire a sports person right because a sports person knows that it is okay to lose uh, all athletes including you know uh, like the top athletes in their field have lost more games than they have won right so you're okay with losing and you know that o- you only learn from a loss you don't learn anything from winning right so those lessons are automatically inbuilt and typically if you pick someone from like a team game uh they know what is teamwork so you know th- there is like working towards the greater good they know 
that you can push your teammate. They know when to support the teammate. Uh, they know that investing in a teammate will make them better. And only if your teammate is better, will you get better, right? So these lessons, you don't need to teach someone who's come from like the sports field. But I feel people who've not had uh, that exposure to playing team sports at a high level where you can be hyper competitive, but you can still accept a loss and kind of move on. Um, it becomes a challenge. And then you need to kind of showcase and give examples of how life can go on, even if you've lost and that you just need to live to fight another day. So those kinds of things are very, I think, mixed. I think one other thing that I like sharing is uh, my coach, uh, I play in the master's division, which is like a 33 plus division, right? And my coach was about 23 or 24 years old. So about 10 years uh, our junior. And um, he had absolute authority on the field. And he's one of the best coaches that uh, Indian Ultimate has seen, or I've had like the good fortune of training under. Uh, and what that translates to in work, right, is to not be ageist. So uh, typically corporate India, I was I was just coming there. I thought I would ask you how do you how do you deal with such a situation in the workplace because this happens. This does happen often. Yeah. So why why do you need to be ageist, right? Why is it why is it like a straight line? Why is it that age and work experience needs to be a straight line? It need not be. Life is not a straight line, and in our head we think it is. So there is like a lot of angst if. Uh, peers from the same year of graduation are at different levels or, uh, oh, I'm reporting to someone who's younger. Um, I think uh, you should embrace those opportunities, right? Because one is uh, the biggest lesson that you will take from that situation is to uh, control your ego. And I think ego kind of uh, destructs, is a very destructive force sometimes when you're not being your best because of something else. Um, but there are also multiple lessons to learn saying that you can do anything in spite of what your age is. So it depends on how you look at it. And uh, somebody who's just good at their job, I love them to be good at their job. Like they are there because they've earned that, right? Uh, and both of you are getting paid to do work at office. Do work at office, go out and have a life. So uh, yeah, that's That's interesting. But yet, I would say that's harder than um, just our conversation. Uh, so uh, by harder, I mean, it's way harder for individuals in general to embrace this as reality. We are, uh, let's accept it. We are living in a society where uh, experience with respect to age, with respect to, you know, we are ageist, period. Uh, a, large a large number of people are. Uh, in a situation like this, how can teamwork and competition coexist? Can they? Great question. Great question. So uh, I'll, I'll come to one comment that you made, right? Where you said we are ageist and that we need to embrace it, right? I would argue that we are also racist, right? We are also um, uh, gender biased. Uh, and we are also, right, so th that's how the human, uh, I think, brain works, but we don't need to embrace it. I think, in fact, we need to fight each of those. So if uh, if being racist is incorrect, 
uh, and that is your natural leaning, you need to figure out why is that your natural leaning, understand more, and then uh, have the humility to reverse your opinions and decisions. And I think that is the biggest learning, right? And um, similarly for ageism, like, why are you ageist? Like, uh, and it will come back down to, and I'll say it as it is, your insecurities, right? Um, and you need to understand your... Also, the way you brought up, maybe. Um... Sure, yeah. Yeah, maybe, yeah. So I think being able to come to face with that and then understand that your stance is not the most collaborative or positive stance and kind of reversing that makes sense. Uh, your second question was really, how does uh, competition and uh, collaboration team work? Yeah. So uh, I think... Um, there, there are two ways of competition, right? Like um, uh, there is healthy competition and there is unhealthy competition. And we all need to strive towards healthy competition. And I know this sounds like a lot of theory, but what does healthy competition look like? It means that I'm going to give my damned best, right? And I'm going to work super hard and ensure that I'm on the number one or I'm on the gold medal or I'm tracking towards that promotion uh, spot. And if I see my friend who is also, you know, in competition with me, I'm going to ensure that both of us help each other, uh, which means that I'm going to look at her and say, oh, you're doing that. Great. That's a great tip. Let me try and do this. But I'm also doing this. Why don't you think of doing this as well? Right. So that means that both of us are making each other better. And eventually I know that either uh, the person I'm competing with uh, or me, there is there is only one gold medal, right? And uh, whoever it goes to, goes to the best person. And that is the absolute truth, right? And uh, sometimes it's okay to be silver as long as you know that you've taken those lessons and come back for the gold. Um, so th that's what healthy competition looks like. Now, unhealthy competition can look like I'm going to be secretive. I'm going to hold all my knowledge, experience, and so on. Uh, but know that if you are in this bubble, everybody else is also holding their knowledge and their experience from you, right? Unless you open and give, you're not going to receive. And uh, right. then really speaking, it's just your learning, your experience that's going to take you forward in your life as compared to all your peers' learnings and experiences that can take you ahead in life. I mean, if I have to give you these two options, which one would you choose? Uh, so I think... Uh, having that kind of collaboration and true respect for your opponents, right? Like your opponent is not someone that you should take lightly, underestimate or put down, right? They are your opponent, just like how you are their opponent, right? You need to be worthy opponents and make each other better. So I think that's how they coexist. Um, you will see like typically people who are athletes or who get the gold, uh, will be phenomenal sports people, right? Because one, they are used to losing. They know that what is controllable is only your effort. What is uncontrollable is like other person's effort, uh, externalities, environment, and so on. So you just focus on your effort. And if you get the gold, great. If you don't, continue working harder. So I don't know if I answered your question, but that's how I'm talking. Talk, no, talking of gold, uh, talk to me about getting to a leadership position. Both um from a sports perspective i'm sure you must have played frisbee for a good number of years before you got to a leadership position so also at work 
that's how we get to place A from place B, right? Um, what are the skills that one needs to get from place A to place B? Or to strive towards leadership in either case? Hmm. I think so leadership is uh, is a very loaded word right like and I think recently it's become it's the buzzword yeah it, it is a buzzword like who is a leader like everybody is a leader and everybody is a follower you're a leader in some aspects of your life you have to be a follower in some other aspects of your life right uh, I think it's very wrong to say leadership is we also need to teach how to follow otherwise there'll be nobody to follow all of us will be leaders so uh, <laughs> love that <laughs> it's uh, I, I, I I'm obsessed about leadership I'm glad you don't <laughs> it's if, if there is a job to be done how can you do it well right I think that how can we follow <laughs> I'll ask you how can we follow later <laughs> but tell me about the leadership we, we need to get the buzzword out first Okay, so let me attempt, right? I don't think I'm a leader or anything of that sort because I don't like that catchphrase. But uh, <laughs> how can you be good at what you do? Uh, which means that uh, I would say, one, there is absolutely no replacement for hard work. And uh, by that, I mean, uh, if, say, your coach asks you in the sports field to run 100 meters every day, uh, I can guarantee you that after 30 days, your timings will be better. You will be stronger. You will be fitter. You will be faster, right? Similarly, what does that mean for work? Uh, in a sales profession, does it mean putting those calls? If it means that you need to meet your client or call them three times a week, do that consistently and your sales numbers will follow, right? So uh, I think um, it is a little bit about one, being good at what you do, because then you actually lead from experience. Uh, like you have done that and you can share your experience and your guidance with others who have not yet had the benefit of your experience. So that's one kind of leadership. Uh, I think the other kind of leadership is uh, when uh, you have visibility of uh, various moving aspects, right? And you're leading, say, eight different teams and you have the big picture. I think you should be comfortable knowing that you can never make everybody happy. Uh, and that's one of, I think, the leadership uh, lessons that I've taken is that uh, given the set of uh, variables, you take a good decision uh, and ensure that uh, true to your heart, that is the best decision that you could have made at that point of time with the amount of information that you had. And be totally okay to criticism. Uh, of course, we should hear that and learn from it and move on. But I think developing a buffalo skin uh, over, uh, I think, excessive feedback, because the leader will get all of that. Why didn't they do this, do that, do that, so on, right? It's not a popularity contest. And a lot of people mistake that, right? So between you and me, like I think Barack Obama is a great leader. Uh, what was the poll difference, right? Like, I would say that 50% of America does not like Obama. 50% likes Obama. And it's the same for them. Trump is a great leader. Why 50% is ready to follow him and 50% is not. So who is a leader? Like, is it a popularity contest or is it somebody who can actually make people go ahead, do things and fulfill their potential? So I think you need to answer all of these questions rather than saying, I want to be a leader. Uh, the question should be, uh, what do you want to do? And then how, how do you go about doing that? 
how do we follow i think um uh, following is is a very important skill set right so what is a good follower like i have a boss today and uh, at work right and my job is to make her job easier which means that it is my job to ensure that there are as few escalations that uh, need her attention right so and every day i should be constantly ramping up my potential so much so that uh, she becomes redundant right like that's how corporate india works and then she moves on to the next level and you perhaps will move into her shoes so that is one way but a good follower is also someone who asks questions and just does not you know kind of uh, listen to inputs directions and kind of goes and executes it that's a robot uh but like a good human uh reporty person if i can call uh, is someone who listens to inputs kind of has that dialogue and discussion saying these are my points of view these are your points of view and how can we come to a joint better decision than you would have and i would have right so i think that is important and third is respecting authority right where i feel that if all of us decide that we know everything uh, it is going to be chaos um like we can't have uh, like 12 bosses then there'll be nobody reporting into the boss right so uh, i think be confident be yourself um share your point of view listen to the other person's point of view but at the end of the day um respect that authority and sometimes you would have to do something that you don't entirely believe in i think a good follower does that uh, without making it personal like if i am given an instruction on the field that i don't believe it i would still do that because i trust that my coach knows better than me so i think that's how you be a good follower what's a what's the biggest takeaway for you uh, so far in your career as a professional and so far uh, in the game that you play i think uh, professionally uh, one of the biggest takeaways uh, for me has been uh, not to obsess about work and to not make it my be all and end all where uh, i like life is so much bigger than work and sometimes i have made the mistake of making work my life and my life or my work my identity which it is not uh, work exists to pay the bills uh, and to learn some life lessons and we need to look at that objectively so i think that's something that work has taught me um and uh, to what has my sport taught me i think my sport has taught me everything like who i am today whether it is uh, confidence whether it is humility whether it is the ability to be vulnerable whether it is becoming a better teammate and a better human being i think i constantly learn all of those lessons uh, every time i get onto the field and i learn that from my teammates lovely what does achievement mean to you mm, i think setting a goal and ensuring that you've met it like that is achievement to me so uh, it could be as simple as saying that uh, in 2021 i'm going to sleep um, at 11 uh, or before 11 pm every day and if i've done that for 365 days that is achievement to me we are glad uh, and uh, couldn't be happier to chat we, we i think it's just like the fly this conversation has gone just like the flying disc love that and uh, all the best to you for the sport and uh, for your career thank you for being so honest with us and thank you for being on our thank you so much yashika it's amazing uh, i don't know if you meant that as a compliment but the disc did go in a lot of different directions and i hope uh, the listeners you know can make sense of all the <laughs> yes i meant it as a compliment pretty much i mean i i
Yeah, I, I loved, uh, I loved this chat. Thanks for tuning in. Feel free to share your thoughts and feedback in the comment section. Do rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like the episode. Subscribe or hit follow Voice of Achievers on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Hubhopper, Spotify, GeoSavan, Ghana or wherever you get your podcasts from. Send us an email on editor at voiceofachievers.com or find us on voiceofachievers.com to share guest suggestions or topics that you'd like us to cover. Don't forget to tune in next week again. Voice of Achievers on EP Log Media.